And uh, it's found in Matthew's gospel and how fitting that we talk about Jesus' baptism on Baptism Sunday. And I want to talk about it. Let's read the scripture and then we'll draw some truths out of it. Bible says this, Matthew 3, verse 13 says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized there by John. And John didn't want to do it. This isn't proper, he said. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. And the reason John makes this statement is very simple. Baptism is basically an expression, an outward expression of an inward work, testifying to the fact that I was a sinner and need of a savior. And since I accepted Jesus as my Lord and savior, this is a testimony of an outward or an inward work. And we know that Jesus was sinless. He was without sin and he needed to repent of nothing. And this is why John is saying this, but Jesus goes and says, you know, he said, please do it for I must do all that is right. So then John baptized him. And, um, Another translation says that he did it because of righteousness. And again, it's a symbol and it's a sign of us as believers being baptized with Jesus and then being resurrected with Christ. So um, when, when we uh, submerge people in water, that's a picture of us dying to sin. That's the old nature, the sinful nature dying. I'll show you that in a moment. And then when we come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus, right? The old man dies. Don't dig him back up. The old man dies. The new man, the resurrected man, the redeemed man uh, comes alive. And so after his baptism, as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God coming down in the form of a dove. How many are ready to see the Holy Spirit descend upon us today? Anybody ready for that today? So heaven opens, and then this voice from heaven says this, This is my beloved Son, and I am wonderfully pleased with him. Father, I thank you and I praise you once again for this opportunity to be with your people. I ask God that you would speak to us over the next few minutes. I thank you for the lives here today, Lord. I thank you for, Lord, not only those who were baptized today, but in our future, the many more that are going to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As we continue to lift Jesus up, you said you would draw all men unto him. It's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen. And everyone said, amen. I've been talking about a fully surrendered life what that fully surrendered life looks like. And there are steps, obviously, that we uh, are responsible for. For instance, um, when you become born again, it is your spirit man is redeemed. It's bought back. We've covered that. We've talked about that. Um, literally, God buys us back off of the auction block of the devil. We were bound to sin, couldn't get free from it, and... Jesus redeemed us through and by his blood. And then I talked about how that we are responsible for our soul. Your soul consists of your mind, your will, and your emotions. You are in charge of that. Your soul has to be renewed, Romans 12 and 1. You, are, you renew your soul. One of the ways you do that is through uh, being transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. So you have to take out 
the world and replace it with the word. So if, if you want to change your behavior, change the way you think. If you change the way you think, you'll change what you believe. If you change what you believe, your behavior will change. Does that make sense? Okay. And so we are responsible for that. And then uh, I talked about that and then offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. It's our, it's our reasonable service. So I'm giving God my time. I'm giving God my talent. I'm giving God my treasure. I'm giving God my dreams. I'm giving God surrendered my will to his will. And I'm surrendering my life to him. And those are steps that we have to take. Those are, we are responsible to do those types of things. Um, but let's back up a minute because I see some steps that we can take in this story that will help us understand what a fully surrendered life looks like. Um, Jesus comes from, the Bible said, he come from Galilee and he comes to the Jordan. The name Galilee means circuit. Everyone say circuit. It's, um, it's where we get the word circle. And um, it simply means this. It means to go around and around and around. It means to wander uh, without any direction, without any course, without any vision in life. Here's what it means. Galilee is a picture of us being bound by and to sin. Because what happens is we wander aimlessly through life without any direction, without any purpose, never breaking free from the pattern of sin in our life. And what that looks like is this. We keep revisiting the same issues. We keep dealing with the same behaviors. And we see these things surfacing in our life over and over and over again. It's like the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. They continue to wander around outside of the promise that God had spoken for them and to them. They continue to wander outside of that promise. It's a picture of that, never entering into the fullness that God has for us. It's a picture of Samson when the Philistines captured Samson and they bound him to the pole and they made him grind the wheat. And the Bible said he went around and around and around. It's a picture of our adversary keeping us in bondage, keeping us bound to sin, where we continue to see our life just go around the same mountain, the same vision, the same purpose seems to be uh, all the time. And so sin keeps us bound. It keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us. And so all we do is we see pain, we see sorrow, we see grief, and we end up feeling empty and void. That's where sin leaves us. But here's what I also believe. I believe there comes a point in each and every one of our life. I believe uh, because God is a gracious God and God is merciful, I believe that God gives us many opportunities to break free from Galilee. I believe God gives us many opportunities to break the cycle in our life. I believe he gives us many opportunities to break that circle of going around and around in our life. I believe that sometimes just through circumstances, God brings us to what I'm going to talk about, our spiritual Jordan. I believe that because of his unfailing love for us, 
The Bible said it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. He draws us with his love. He draws us with his mercy and with his compassion. And even when we're messing up and even when we're missing the mark, God's still loving us. God's still drawing us. God's still bringing us into, uh, trying to bring us into his saving knowledge, all right? And so I believe that God, through circumstances or by his unfailing love, gives us opportunities to break the cycle of sin in our life. And that's where the Jordan comes into play. It's interesting to me, if you do a study just on what happened around the Jordan, okay, you go into the Old Testament, you can move it into the New Testament. The the Jordan is a place of transition. Everyone say transition. So for instance, you have Moses and you have, um, you have Joshua. Moses brought them out, but he never could bring them into. And the reason that he couldn't bring them into is because they continued to murmur and to complain and, and to bellyache about their former life. I talked about breaking free from your former life in this series. And then Joshua takes over and Joshua is the one who brings them into their promise. But then I look at the Bible, and the Bible talks about Elijah, the prophet, and Elisha, his servant. And the Bible said it was at the Jordan that um, that there was the shift from Elijah to Elisha. In other words, Elijah was taken away into heaven. His mantle was re- remained. Elisha picks it up and carries on the work of Elijah, doing twice the miracles that Elijah had performed. And then you get into the New Testament, and what do you see? You see John standing in the Jordan. You see Jesus coming to John, and John is simply saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, which is our sin nature, he takes away the nature to sin, Behold the Lamb of God. And what happened at that moment, there was a transition that takes place. John says, I'm going to step back because I have to decrease in order for him to increase. How many of you know if you want God to increase in your life, you have to decrease so that he can increase? In other words, less of me and more of him. And so it's at this point where John has been talking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is coming. At this point, John says, not only is it, not only is it coming, it's here. The king is here. And there's a shift and a transition that takes place. Well, I looked at this and I started to realize that this uh, Moses and Elijah are the same two people that are caught up with Jesus at the mountain of transfiguration. Remember, Jesus is on the mountain and he's transfigured before Peter, James, and John, and they see uh, Moses and they see Elijah there with him. Moses represents the law. Everyone say the law. The law is what you had to live by. The law was a list of do's and don'ts. And uh, the Pharisees added to the law. And there was over 600 things, uh, commandments that they would institute on the people that many of them were, it was impossible to do. Okay. Uh, uh, Elijah represents the prophets. And Jesus said this about the law and the prophets. Jesus said, I've come that I might fulfill the law and fulfill the prophets. And he fulfilled the law and he fulfilled the prophets by living a perfect life. Jesus fulfilled all of the moral laws. Jesus lived this, uh, lived here on earth, but yet was without sin. He, it, we also see in his sacrificial death, we see Jesus fulfilling some uh, ceremonial laws. But also we see Jesus fulfilling the prophecies of himself. 
the first prophecy that he fulfills is him coming, right? And there are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. But when Jesus showed up on the earth, it was a fulfillment of the prophets. In other words, Jesus was saying, all the prophets that were testifying about me, I'm here. I'm the one who's fulfilling everything that was written about me. And so what we see right here, I'm going to equate it to us, what we see here is a transition from the law to a transition of grace. And we better be thankful to God that we no longer live under the law, that we no longer live under a list of dues because none of us can fulfill the law. Jesus did so that we wouldn't have to. We live under the dispensation of grace. Everyone say grace. And so this is a point that you get into your life that you realize Jesus paid the price. It is because of his righteousness that I am made righteous, right? He is the one who broke the circuit of sin in my life. And if I want that circuit of sin to be broken in my life, then I have to surrender my life to him. And it's at this point in my life that when I surrender my life to him, things begin to change. Now, you don't have to raise your hand because I already know the answer to the question. And that was this. You tried to change. You tried to change yourself, but you couldn't do it, right? How many times have we said, Lord, if you ever get me out of this, I'll never do this again. And the Lord got you out of this and you did it again. How many of you ever said, okay, Lord, I mean it this time. If you ever get me out of this, if you get me through this, I'll I'll never do this again. And how many of you know God got you out of this and God got you through this? And how many of you know we did it again? Which tells us we can't break the circuit within our own self, within our own ability, within our own power. It takes the transforming power of Jesus Christ for us to break the circuit, the cycle of sin in our life. How many are thankful today that when Jesus came to this earth and he lived a sinless life and he died and he rose on the third day, how many are thankful today that he took our sin with him and buried our sin with him and when he rose on the third day, he gave us his righteousness so that when we stand in front of the Father and the devil would try to accuse us of our past, we can stand in front of the Father with the assurance that our sins are forgiven and they've been wiped away, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he has done for us. We are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. That's it. And that's what baptism is all about. It's simply an acknowledgement. It's an expression of an inward work. I couldn't break this pattern. I couldn't break this cycle. I couldn't get over these things. But because of Jesus and because of his death and because of his resurrection, I am free. Paul talks about it. He talks about it in Romans chapter 6. And I want you to look at it with me. He says, of course not. Should we keep on sinning when we don't have to? We don't have to sin. Newsflash, look at me. (laughs) Right? God's grace has enabled us to to live a victorious life. I didn't say we wouldn't struggle. I didn't say we wouldn't be tempted. I didn't say any of those things. But we can, through the power of the resurrection of Christ, come on somebody, be victorious over sin. I'll, I'll back up and put it this way. What used to keep us bound no longer has the power to keep us bound because of Christ who lives in us. And then he says this, for sin's power over us was broken. 
broken. When? When we received Jesus as our Lord. When we became Christians, that circuit, that cycle was broken in you. I hear you. It doesn't matter what your granddaddy did. It doesn't matter what your daddy did. Come on, somebody. We hear about all these inherited things. We hear about these generational things. Jesus came to break the generational curse off of our life. It doesn't matter just because they did it don't mean that we have to do it. Just because they were bound by it doesn't mean we have to be bound by it. Oh, come on and shout if you believe it today. And we were baptized to become part of Jesus Christ. We are buried with him and we live with him. Amen. Again, this is the symbolism of baptism, not the act of baptism itself. It is the symbolism of baptism. And it says a part of Christ through his death. Listen, through his death, the power of your sinful nature was shattered broken. Your old sin loving nature because we loved to sin. We didn't sin because it felt bad. We were good sinners. Let me talk to this crowd because I don't know about this side. We were good sinners. Hey, come on. Some, I enjoyed my sin for a season. <laughs> Anybody over here know what I'm talking about? <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a little joy in it. I mean, oh, this, this is so terrible. I'm going to quit doing it. Well, before you become, you know, born again, you don't think that way. Man, I like this. I'm going to do it again. We enjoyed it, but guess what? It's a trap. Look at your neighbor and tell him it's a trap. It is a trap of the adversary. Come on, I'm digging myself out of this hole right now. It's a trap. The enemy wants to continue to, to lead us down this road, to, 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 to dig this hole that we think we can never get out of. It's a trap. You will enjoy it for a season, but one day you're going to wake up and you're going to look at your life and you're going to look at the mess and you're going to look at the failures and you're going to look at the pain that you've caused people and you're going to say, why in the world have I been doing this? I want to be set free, but you can't be set free unless Jesus himself sets you free. Amen. So we buried that old man and we ain't digging him back up. Huh. With him by baptism, when he died and when God, the father, come on, Paul, talk to us with glorious power, brought him back to life. Jesus is alive. I feel like preaching today. In case you haven't wondered, Jesus is alive and well, amen. With his glorious power brought him back to life again. You were given his wonderful new life to enjoy. How many are enjoying your new life? Come on, wave at me. How many are celebrating the fact that you once were lost and now you're born again, free from sin, free from your past, free from your mistakes, free from all of that? How many are enjoying the life that God has given you? If you're happy and you know it, say amen. We ought to be the happiest people on the planet. There should be so much joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Right? Sometimes we need to tell our face, you're saved. <laughs> you ever see some Christians? Look like they've been sucking on lemons the whole day. And we're like, if that's what it's going to look like and that's what it's going to I don't want it. 
But he says, you have a wonderful new life. Hey, can I give you something? Not when you get to heaven. Oh, that's going to be glorious. But how many of you know you can enjoy your life here on this earth? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. This thing's not boring. This thing's not a drab. This thing is exciting. And if you do it right, you'll understand that there's more joy in serving the Lord than anything else in this world. Well, church is boring. You're boring. Church isn't boring. It's what you make it. Right? Oh, I've got some guests in here. Straighten up. Okay, I will. I will. Not going back there again. He said I was boring. (laughs) So there's there's a change that takes place. A transition. Remember the change, the transitions. Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, John to Jesus. There is a change from the old man to the new man. And the craving and the desire of the old man is gone away. And the craving and the desires of the new man is resurrected. And now my appetite has changed. And I no longer want the things of this world. I want the things of God. And I'm no longer pursuing the things of this world. But I'm pursuing the things of God. And if you'll get this, nobody will have to tell you. If you'll get what I'm talking about, no one will have to tell you. Because I grew up in a very legalistic church. I came from one form of bondage to the next. I came out of one, uh, I came out of the world, which is bondage, and I went into a legal church, which was, which was another form of bondage. The law. You can't do this. You can't do that. Ladies, you can't put on makeup. You can't wear jewelry. How many of you know a little paint never hurt anything? <laughs> Speaking of painting, has anybody ever talked to you about, no. Yeah, I'm, right? You know, those ear bobs are not going to keep you out of heaven, right? I mean, so I grew up in a, I didn't wear earrings and I didn't wear makeup. I'm just trying to make that clear right now. All right, I didn't have problem with that. I didn't have to put that away. I didn't have problem with that. And here's what I found out. These were good people. These were God-fearing, God-loving people. And what I found out was this. They were, they, they, they were preparing me for heaven but they didn't prepare me how to live a a victorious life here on this earth. They didn't disciple me the way that the Bible teaches us to disciple people. Because if we truly disciple people, we won't have to tell them where to go, what not to wear, what not to do. If we truly disciple them and they get a hold of of the love of God and the favor of God and the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them, he's the one who will change them, not me. I can't do it anyway. Let him do it and watch and see what God will do in our lives. Amen. There's an old nature dies, the new nature lives. But watch this. So there's a transformation that takes place. There should be a point in time in your life where you don't have to tell me you're saved. I should be able to look at your life and know that you're saved. Jesus said, you'll know my people, not by the noise that they make, but that the fruit that they produce. 
And if they're not producing good, godly fruit, then they're not of my tree. So you will know my people by the fruit. And all you have to do is look at someone's life and look at the fruit that they're producing to see whether or not they're really living this new life. Because it's going to be different. All right, I got to get off of that. I've been too much, too long there. I am. I got eight more minutes. So look what happens under this new life. The Bible says that when Jesus came out of the water, what happened, church? What happened? Heaven opened. The heavens opened. And when the heavens opened, the Father spoke. And I'll get to that in a moment. Here's what I believe. I believe when we become born again and we are resurrected to new life, this is what I believe. I believe heaven opens over us. So before we were born again, heaven was closed. So what that means is we did not have access to the Father. And because we couldn't get to the Father, he came to us through the form of his Son. But now heaven is open above me. And that means that what was once blocked is now available. So what does that mean? That means now that, 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 that means that the promises of God are now available to me. That means that, that means that the blessings of God are now available to me. That means that the presence of God is now accessible to me. That means that, that the provision of God is now available to me. That means that, that I can live under this open heaven and experience the benefits of serving a loving, caring God. How many of you know that this thing has benefits? Come on, you got to help me preach. The more you say amen, the quicker we get out of this place. I said serving Jesus has some benefits. Listen, we have the best health care the world knows. We have the best health care coverage the world ever has experienced. Benefits. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about by his stripes we are healed. I'm talking about he sent his word and healed our disease. I'm talking about those kinds of benefits. I'm talking about I shall supply, he shall supply all of his, my needs according to his riches in glory. Not mine, but his. How many of you know that's benefits? God says, I'm going to give all of it to you. I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to give you the benefits of being my ch child. How many of you know there are benefits to being a child of God? Help me preach here. Help me preach here. Can I talk about it a minute? How about some benefits? Some of you looking at me, my good, I got to get out of this place. This guy's crazy. <laughs> benefits. The favor of God comes on your life. What does that mean? That means you don't have to be qualified. That means <laughs> you, you go to the front of the line. So someone else may have a better education. They may have more experience, but that doesn't matter when you get to the kingdom. 
because God can put your face on whoever is bringing promotion in that situation. And instead of taking the one who might be more qualified, God will put you on their heart and they'll say something like this. I don't even know why I'm giving you this job. You don't, you shouldn't even have this job, but I'm just going to give it to you. You know why? Because daddy said, they don't know it, but daddy said, I am blessing you with favor. Shout favor if you believe it today. So I get to live under this umbrella of favor. So everywhere I go, the favor of God is upon my life. God's blessing. Surely, David said, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Look over your right shoulder. Hurry up. Look over your left shoulder. Guess what's following you? Goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life. That's the benefits, one of the benefits of, of, of living under an open heaven. And I just feel led to push on this. Some of you do not realize what you have access to. And James put it this way, you have not because you, but if you'll simply ask, believing, and if you'll ask with the right motives, all of it is available unto you. Someone said, what do you mean the right motives? Well, if you're praying for that person to get saved, and the only reason you're praying for them to get saved is it's going to make your life better, how many of you know that's the wrong motive? It's not about making your life better. Praying for that person to be saved is about getting them out of hell and getting them into heaven. It's about where they're going to spend eternity. And if we get our motives right then we'll ask in the Father's name, amen, or we're asking Jesus' name, and the Father will bless us with the benefits he's provided for us. How many are thankful for an open heaven today? If you are, give him praise. Two more minutes, two more minutes. Here's the, here's the final thing I want to talk to you about. So there's, there is transformation, brings about openness, open heaven, But the second thing that I want to talk about is simply this. It's the Father's affirmation. And we all need it. All of us need it. So the first thing that happens when we become born again, obviously, is the transformed life. But heaven opens up above us. We get the blessings and the favor of God. And then we hear the affirmation of the Father. In other words, God's voice becomes real to you. Sometimes it's in that still small voice where you hear in your spirit now because your spirit is redeemed. But the majority of time, it's through the word of God. In other words, God's word becomes clearer and clearer. That's the voice of God. I said this a couple of weeks ago. If Jesus was to come into your house today, take out a piece of paper, get a pen and write something on that piece of paper, fold it, put it on the table and walk out without saying one word. What's the first thing you would do? You would go get that paper. What did Jesus have to say? How many of you know he left you a piece of paper? He left you a book. And if you want to know what Jesus has to say, open the book. (laughs) Just, just, just open the book. And you will hear clearly what God has to say. Because now, because your spirit is alive, 
God is a spirit and God speaks to your spirit. So now you can hear God because your spirit man is alive, redeemed, and you have the Holy Spirit who is your teacher and your guide. He's gonna teach you, he's gonna lead you, he's gonna guide you where? Into all truth, all truth. So you hear the affirmation of the Father. This is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, and whom I am well pleased. Remember, I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I talked about how that we have been adopted into the family of God. And the first affirming words that you and I hear is that we are his children. We are his. And he doesn't love us because of what we do. He loves us because of who we are. We are his. None of us love our kids because of what they do. Well, hold on a minute. I could sometimes. But it's because of who they are. Right? I mean, they can disappoint us, but if somebody starts picking on our kids, guess what? You better look out. Because we're coming heavy and we got a lunch with us. So, why is affirmation needed? Why do we need to hear, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter? Because when we were in the world and we were in sin, what happened was, because of the sin nature and because of the results of the sin nature in our life, because of what we've done in our past, we have a tendency to bring guilt and shame with us. And even though God has forgiven us, and even though those people whom we may have hurt has forgiven us, we have a hard time forgiving us. And so we carry this guilt and shame from what we've done back then. And if you carry guilt and shame long enough, it will produce condemnation in your life where you feel like you're never, ever good enough. And the only way that you're going to be pleasing your father is to stay in punishment. So you feel like you have to be in timeout the rest of your life. By the way, growing up, we didn't get timeouts. We got knocked out. <laughs> no, I'm not endorsing violence. I really am not. Well, I wouldn't say we got knocked out, but we, we, we got the right hand of fellowship on our seat of understanding. <laughs> Some of you old time church people know what I'm talking about there. Huh. We sure did. I have no clue where I'm going with that now. I'm just lost. But we have this condemnation that we carry because we won't forgive ourselves. And we think that God, there it is, God has us on punishment. And one of the problems with condemnation is it robs us. It robs us of confidence. When you are under, I'm almost done, I promise, I promise. When you are under condemnation, it robs you of your confidence. So you feel like you can't go to God. Or you feel like you have to go to God like this. It's not, the Bible doesn't teach us that. The Bible says that we are to come before God boldly. We are to come before him with confidence. Not because of us, but because of who is in us. So we can come to God with confidence. But the enemy wants to rob us of that by continuing to have condemnation us heaping that condemnation in our life. 
where we feel like we're never good enough. And we keep punishing ourselves. Watch the scripture, Romans chapter eight. And if the music team will come, I'll promise I'll quit. Romans chapter eight. So now there's what? Come on, help me out. For who? That's you. That's me if you're born again. Because, because, why? Because you belong to him. The power of the life-giving spirit, that's what I've been talking about, has what? Freed you from what? The power of sin. Not anything that you did, but what he did. He's freed us from the power. We couldn't break that circuit. That leads to death. There's no more condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to stand with me, if you would. Here's what I know, and this is what we grew up and I'm okay with it. The Holy Spirit does not condemn us. If we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing, the Holy Spirit's not gonna come and condemn you and say, look at you, you worthless whatever. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you behaved that way. That's not how the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes to us and begins to convict us, you know, that wasn't really right. Probably shouldn't have done that. But I'm gonna, but, but you have an opportunity to get it right. You have an opportunity to correct this thing. And I'm gonna help you correct it. I'm gonna help you get it right. So the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict us. And when he does, listen to him, receive his instruction and move on. But not only does the Holy Spirit convict us of sin, but he also convicts us of God's righteousness. So you have to make a decision. Whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to listen to the voice of your adversary who's constantly going to condemn and tell you how worthless you are and how hopeless it is and how messed up you are or are you going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who tells you that you can do all things through Jesus who strengthens you? Who tells you that you are beloved, you are his beloved? Who tells you that he loves you with an everlasting love? Who tells you something like, you know what? You're able to be here today and you're able to be in my presence, not because of anything you've done anyway, but because of his righteousness. See, that's what happened. He took our sin. He took all of our mess, all of our mistakes, and he buried it in his death. And then through his resurrection, he put his righteousness on us. So now when I come to the Father, I come in Jesus' name as a son of God 
in the righteousness of Christ Jesus that allows me to stand boldly before God and worship Him and talk to Him and allow Him to talk to me. And I just feel in my spirit that there's some people under the sound of my voice that you've been living under guilt and shame and condemnation, even though you're saved, but you've been living under these, under these things in your life that's robbed you of joy and robbed you of your confidence in God. And I'm just telling you today, it was buried with Jesus. Your punishment was buried with him and a new life came forth when he got up. Aren't you thankful for that today? Don't carry it anymore. Morgan's going to sing this song and here's the altar call. If you're in this building and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you, you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor, I can't break this circuit. I've tried. I can't break it. It's, it, it. It repeats itself over and over. And you've never given your heart to Jesus. Or maybe you have and you just kind of went back. You went back in your ways. But you're in this room today and you're saying, you know what? I want to recommit my heart to the Lord. I want to give my life to Jesus. You're at a spiritual Jordan place right now in your life. You're at this spiritual Jordan place where transformation, transition can take place if you want it. He's offering it if you want it. So our prayer team is coming. I want you to come, prayer team. And as they sing, and if that's you, all I want you to do is simply get out of your seat without feeling guilty, without feeling shameful, without feeling condemnation, without thinking, well, they're looking at me. If that's you, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to join us and we're going to pray with you a simple prayer. Go ahead, Morgan. I want to give I want to give another opportunity for a different group. If you've been carrying around guilt and shame and condemnation and you've not been able to forgive yourself, 
this is an opportunity for you to just lay it at the altar. Lay that guilt, lay that shame. God doesn't want you carrying it. Get that condemnation off of you. And if you want, if that's you and you want someone to agree with you in prayer, as they begin to sing again, I want you to make your way to this altar. And that's how we'll be dismissed. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for being here today. Have a great day. Have a great week. Come back again next week at The Point.